Interested in starting your own podcast? Then Anchor is the right platform for you. When it comes to creating a podcast and editing and producing, Anchor has all the necessary tools for you to have a top-notch product. Anchor also distributes to your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify. They even give you the opportunity to make money like we are right now just by having them as a sponsor. The best part? It's completely free to download and use. Download Anchor in the App Store or on Google Play and get your podcast started today. It's time for the Say Hey Podcast, your San Francisco Giants podcast for the real ones. Available on your podcast platform of choice, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. New episodes are released weekly. Follow on Twitter and Instagram at Say Hey Podcast and like our page on Facebook. It is episode 21 of the Say Hey Podcast. This is Doug Hayes, a.k.a. Say Hey Doug. It is February 20th, 2021. We are without my co-host Rob today, but we are joined by a friend of the show, Charlie Baldwin. Charlie, how's it going today, bud? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Doug. It's uh, quite late in the afternoon here. It's like past 5, 5 p.m. And we've, we've had bad weather and things like that, but not, not as bad as Texas, thankfully. Uh, how's it going for you today? Well, I believe it's currently uh, about 52 degrees and it's perfectly sunny outside here in California. Um, and for you, for you listeners, Charlie is over in the UK, um, eight hours ahead. It's 9.08 a.m. here. It's 5.08 p.m. there. So this was the best time for us to actually do this today. So we are both awake at the same time. So <laughs> how's, uh, how's it been over in uh, – are, are you in um, Britain, I, I assume? Yeah, yeah, the UK. Uh, Northeast okay. England, uh, the biggest well-known city near us is probably uh, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, for people who are familiar with English geography. Okay. Uh, right about on. 250 miles-ish north of London. Awesome. Well, I think it's cool that we got someone here from another continent, so uh, pretty excited about that. Um, well, Charlie, you're here to join us today uh, and really specify into what kind of your specialty is in baseball, and, and that's Saber Metrics. So tell us how you got into advanced metrics and, and you know, like, why does it fascinate you and stuff like that? Why do you use it? Yeah, so, I've, so to be honest, I need to go back to the beginning here. So I first got into baseball in 1998 when I went to visit um, some aunts, uncles, cousins, etc., in San Francisco for the first time, and my uncle took took me to a ball game then. But I was only about twelve at the time, so with the time difference, with no internet like there is now to keep an eye on things twenty four seven, I kind of had to follow from afar for a few years, and then I got the great MLB.tv, which basically lets you watch games at any time uh, outside of like the Bay Area, so there's no blackout restrictions or anything. Uh, so then. That happened in about 2005-ish, and then once I started getting like seriously hardcore into games, that's when I started asking questions of like, um, okay, so why is the manager hitting so and so second or third today? Like, why has he changed this picture for that picture? And that's when I kind of wanted to go into game on a more uh, deep, deeper kind of way. So that's when I started looking at the 
like more like OPS and ISO and other things that we'll be looking looking at a little bit later on compared to the uh, more traditional the traditional metrics because I see metrics as like a puzzle. So for instance, the simpler metrics will kind of give you the outer pieces, like the outline of what's there, but it's kind of still a really kind of blurry picture. But then the the more advanced you go, the more clearer the puzzle gets, like you get the inner pieces and it becomes clearer what the actual picture is. Awesome. Yeah, I, I have, and I've admitted to you because I've gotten to know Charlie over the last month or two. And um, I was never, I've always been fascinated by advanced metrics, but I've never been like a huge follower into it until, you know, I would say like the last five or six weeks, I've kind of been teaching myself uh, a little bit here or there and then learning from you guys as well. Um, and speaking of that, um, tell us a little bit about S Fangraphs. What is S Fangraphs? Yeah, so um, for the past four or five years, I've wanted to kind of form our own Facebook group just to kind of have our own space where we can talk talk about the Giants in terms of metrics. Just um, just so to get away from like the public groups where like you can try and start a conversation on that and then people like jump in and out going off on tangents, etc. So it allows us to just have a clear view of what we want to talk about and talk about things we, the way we want to talk about them using metrics and logic. Um, so I formed it in December 2019 and the reason for that was uh, Farhan had been there year and I actually found enough people to form a core membership with shared interests. Um, so we've been going for about 14 months now, we've got just over 100 members. Um, so if you're looking to join, the only requirements are that you support the rebuild, you support Farhan. You don't have to be 100% into metrics, um, as you've seen yourself Doug, like we have people who go from, say, being a hybrid old-school, new-school fan who kind of mix the scouting and metrics all together to people who are literally 90%, well, the numbers say this, so it is this kind of thing. But we, are, we always have sensible debates, and I like to think we always find common ground more often than not. So um, if you're interested in joining, it's S Fangrass on Facebook. So that's capital S, capital F, A-N, capital G-R-A-P-H-S. It is invite-only at the moment. But as soon as we get your request, we will look at it and uh, get you in as soon as possible. And we'd love to. And if this podcast interests you today, uh, we'd love to see you in there. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and Charlie has been um, a big help, too. He's one of our admin on uh, Giants Chatter, the group uh, that we started a couple months ago. And um, it's nice to have, um, I, I would say, somewhat of a partnership uh, together, but we've been able to kind of put all of our minds together from different perspectives, you know, using metrics or using what I, I like to call, you know, uh, Rob and I like to use kind of the eye test we've coached before we've played before. So we kind of like to put in that perspective. Brooks has been covering for a long time. So, um, you know, make sure you're on Giants Chatter. And yeah, if you're interested in getting into S fan graphs, um, get in on that. So uh, before we get into our main topic of today, just want to remind you that the Say Hey podcast is sponsored by Manteca Bedquarters. Whether you're located in the Bay Area or the Central Valley, head out to Manteca and visit Manteca Bedquarters for great rates on mattresses from Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, and other top brands. Manteca Bedquarters also has bedroom furniture and bedding accessories located on the corner of Main and Yosemite in Manteca, Visit MantecaBedQuarters.com for more details. Okay, so what we're going to do today is we're going to 
talk about uh, uh, we're going to do a couple examples and then we are going to discuss a couple of offensive and then a couple of pitching um, point of views for the, for some specific giants players, but we're going to use some metrics and I, this is kind of off, off schedule, but I'm sure you'll be happy to answer this. Um, I, I, I want to preface this because not a lot of people are into advanced metrics, AKA sabermetrics. Um, a lot of people don't want them used in the game or whatever. I've always been okay with them. I'm opening up to them. I'm starting to use them. I think they're really interesting in breaking down why um, they're good for specific players per se or whatever. Um, so my first question before we get into what's on the schedule is why are, why are some people so against sabermetrics? Um, I think they see the way the game has changed in terms of how uh, sabermetrics has changed the game. I'll admit it. I, I'm not a fan of the three-outcome game and from an entertainment aspect compared to how it used to be, where stealing bases, bunting, etc., used to matter, matter a lot more. So I think they kind of see it as, well, all these GMs have come in with all these like computer analytics. It's not the same game it used to be. And then on top of that, um, obviously I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but you've got like Rob Manfred implementing unpopular changes as well. And I think some fans think that those changes stem from analytics when uh, they, when actually they don't really. Um, and there's also a misconception there that uh, anal- analytics or sabermetricians are trying to take over the game. When if you actually listen to or have a look at some interviews that Bill James, who is literally the godfather of analytics, has done. He actually always meant for it to be an alternative way of looking at the game, so something optional that you could look at in addition to looking at traditional stats. So he he saw it as metrics going hand-in-hand with traditional stats just to like, paint a clearer picture of what's, what's going on in terms of productivity of either pitchers or hitters in the game. So... To, to fans who, who are sceptical, um, I just want to say, please just do your best to be open-minded and give it a chance. I know that some fans want Farhand to win something before they'll kind of accept it and say, okay, fair enough, it works. And I get that. Like, if you've been throwing the ball for 40 or 50 years, then who am I to tell you to like, do, try and do things a different way? But then again, I will always try and meet people in the middle. So I think at the end of the day, it's about compromising, saying... Analytics is trying to help baseball, not hinder it. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and just like you said, it's, uh, you know, there's a standard statistic, which isn't going anywhere. People use that. They understand it. It's more simple. But then there's advanced. So it's like, you know, there's bed, bath, and then there's beyond. So, you know, you can, <laughs> you can, like advanced metrics, sabermetrics, that's the beyond. So, like, you, you still have your standard, and then you can go beyond that so that's the way I kind of look at it. I think it's I think it's funny but it makes sense that way so all right let's get into what we're going to do here so what metrics would you like to introduce today uh, for our audience and we're going to start at the plate on the offensive side of the ball and then we'll switch over to pitching okay so the metrics that we'll be looking at today are on base percentage otherwise known as OBP on base plus slugging percentage otherwise known as OPS Isolated slugging percentage, which is ISO for short, WRC plus, which is weighted runs created plus, and F4, which is fan graphs wins above replacement. So um, I just wanted to quickly say, Doug, that one of the reasons I wanted to use these metrics is because from interviews that have been done with Farhan Zaidi, as well as the type of hitters he has acquired for the Giants, 
it's easy to see that these are probably some of the baseline statistics he will use in analysing a hitter. So, kind of what part of what I wanted to do today was to like take the listeners into the mind of Farhan himself. Like I know obviously I can't take take them a hundred percent into his mind because he'll have access to data that we could only dream of. But maybe maybe like this could be the beginning of what he looks at when he's thinking, right, should I go and sign a Donovan Solano or Mike Jastrzemski, et cetera? Like, this could, this could be his starting point. Yeah, so I, I think that is important because uh, you, not only are we looking at him from a general perspective, but you're looking at him from the perspective of our vice president of baseball operations, our president of baseball operations, and what he's actually using to scout and and look over players that he's interested in bringing in. So I think from an actual Giants fan perspective, this is an important episode to, to listen to. So let's jump right into it. So you have an example for offensive statistics. Um, I think it's a guy that we may all know. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's Mike Trout of the LA Angels. The, he was recently voted as the top player right now by MLB Network. He is the consensus top player about baseball around baseball as well. So I wanted to kind of use him as he is the standard, like he is the measuring stick as to who you compare compare hitters to. So although he will be elite in pretty much every statistic, it will give you an idea of like, if you're anywhere close to Mike Trout in these stats, then you are doing really, really well. But before we get into Mike Trout, there's just some general information I want to go over first. So it won't take too long. So today we're looking at Fangrass analytics, but there are also... Um, two other main sites that are, that are mostly used. So there's Baseball Reference, which has a lot of similar statistics to Fangrass, but they basically work things out in slightly different ways. So I'm going to talk about the difference between like um, Baseball Reference wins above replacement and Fangrass wins above replacement as, a, as an example in a little while. And then there's Statcast Metrics. So if you watch MLB Network, you'll be... Um, You'll know these quite well. Like Brian Kenny is, uses these quite a lot. So that's primarily based on batted ball data from cameras uh, that have been able to record data that have literally only been in state in parks for about the last five to ten years at most. Uh, so an example that you probably may not notice is even when Crook and Quite do uh, home home run replays, it's not just oh this ball travels 450 feet, he hit it off a slider. It's this ball had an exit velocity of 105 miles and a launch angle of 29 degrees. So that, that's even then just an example of a simple but more advanced way of looking at how a home run is hit and why it's a home run. So when we look at, stati- um, at analytics and, statist- and advanced sabermetrics, there's a few things we have to take into account about the player themselves before we even look at the numbers. So there's the health of the player. So have they been injured recently? Are they just coming back from injury? Could it be affecting their swing or ability to make contact? For war, that also affects their ability to play defense as well. For some metrics, the more games a player features in, the more they increase that statistic. So, for instance, wins above replacement, the more productive you are, the more you do defensively, the more it will increase. So if you play, play 150 games, you, you should have a wins above replacement superior to only if that player had played 100 games. Uh, for, also, if pitchers are coming back from injury, uh, this could affect their command, control, velocity, and or spin rate as well. Uh, Player decline, there was a study that was done a few years ago that basically said 
player decline begins about 31 years old. Obviously, this does vary. So, for instance, even, say, when Mike Trout's 35, 36 years old, there's a chance he'll still probably be productive, more productive than most of the league around him just because he is a generational talent and he does look like he's keeping himself in shape. So when we look at statistics, we're also looking for, looking for trends. So say if player A between 2016 to 2019 has an on-base percentage of between 380 and 400 during those years, but suddenly fell to 340 in 2020, we can likely call that an anomaly because we have data from the past few years saying it's been, it's been between a certain range and 2020 was an outlier. However, if between 2016 to 2019, player B had an OBP that started at, say, 420, but it's fallen every year and it's now down to 320 in 2020. Then, obviously, you can see that decline is happening there because he's lost 100 points of OBP in literally the space of four years. So, for pitchers, this could be whether ERA and FIP both stay within a certain range over a few seasons or if there's a dramatic increase in either. There's also a sample size to take into account. So, generally, when I judge a player to a certain standard, I look for two years or two seasons worth of data. So in plate appearances terms, that's about 1,200 plate appearances before I make a definite judgment and say, yeah, this player is all-star level or this player is, okay, is useful in a, in a platoon, etc. cetera. Um, for starting pitchers, I usually look at it in terms of two years worth of start. So generally a front-end starting pitcher, so an ace or a number two, would be expected to make 32 starts in a full season. So I generally look for 64 starts from them. Or in terms of innings pitched, I look at about 400 innings pitched. As the elite pitchers do still get to over 200 innings pitched, or as it's more the middle road pitchers and lower end pitchers who get pulled early from games. But you'd still expect your, say, Max Scherzer's, Justin Verlander's when he's healthy to all go six or seven innings plus, plus a game. Um, for relievers, it's a bit tougher to kind of get a, re, a consistent read on them as you know, their innings load can change from season to season. They're also more prone to under-par seasons as we've seen with our Giants in the past as well. And then also a larger sample size means we can also use career average numbers per season. So if you've got a player who's been around five or six years, there's a good amount of data there where you can also reference their average numbers and say, okay, a player player A or player B is in line with his average or above or or under average. Okay, so we're going to firstly cover OBP, so on base percentage. So this refers to how frequently a batter reaches base. So the times on base includes hits, walks and hit by pitchers, and it does not include errors, times reached on the fielder's choice or a drop third strike. It's considered more accurate than batting average as it's measuring a player's offensive value, as it's taking more into account than just um, than just like making contact. It also, it's also taking uh, walks into account as well. So as an example of the importance of OBP, a player could bat over 300, but if they don't walk at all, they're not really helping the team. So say they only have a 320 OBP, whereas a 270 hit with a 380 OBP is obviously getting on base a lot more, which means he's given his team more of a chance to score runs, drive him in, more scoring opportunities. So in general, if you're comparing batting average and OBP, OBP is on average 60 points higher than a player's batting average. So that's something to look out for if you still 
right, want to look at batting average and you want to compare it to OBP. So, for example, a 300 hitter will on average have a 360 OBP. So, in terms of the scale, um, excellent is considered 390 and above. Great is 370 above. Above average is 340 and above. Average is 320. Below average is 310. Poor is 300. Awful is 290 and below. Uh, this is taken from Fangrass. I do say like this is an estimate, by the way, so don't take it as being 100% gospel. It is, it is a generally good guide to follow, and this applies to all the scales uh, further on as well. So if we take a check on Mike Trout's OBP, so for those who aren't familiar with Fangrass, just quickly, so it's fangrass.com. Uh, when the homepage loads, you'll see a little search square saying uh, player and blog, so blog search. It's on the same row as support Fangrass games, blogs, etc. So if you just type the name of the player into there that you're looking for, so in this instance, Mike Trout, uh, a drop-down menu will come up and he'll be right at the top of it. So if you click on him, it'll take you to his player info page. Uh, most of the statistics today that we're looking at today are under the advanced section. So what you do is you scroll down to the advanced section and there we are. So we're looking at 2020 and we're saying, can he be better than that in 2021? So looking at his 2020 OBP, it was 390. So it is as you expect. It, it, is, uh, it is top tier. Um, in terms of... Uh, another thing you can do is you can look at projections as well, but they're only really useful once you've got a few years of data. So there's two main types. So at the bottom there in 2021, you'll see STMR, which stands for Steamer, and you'll also see Zips. These are also two of the main three projection engines that I use for projected standings as well. Uh, the main difference is Zips is slightly more complex in the way it's worked out, whereas Steamer is more basic. But from there, you can also see for... 2021 they're predicting a 420 OBP which is uh, above Trout's average and his average OBP for his career has been 418 thus far and if we take a look at 2019, 2018 etc it's quite a way above the 390 it was in 2020 so I would say um, yeah I'd say he's, he's very likely to be above that in 2021. I just want to point out too, um, I don't have the numbers specifically in front of me, um, but so you said 390 is excellent on base percentage. Um, yeah. Barry Bonds had over 500 a couple times in his career. <laughs> so, but, but to sum it up in all seriousness, uh, you know, it goes, that statistic alone goes to show that, you know, hits aren't everything. Like you said, it's, yeah. it's hits, it's walks, it's hit by pitches. That stuff counts. So, um, yeah, I'd much rather have a guy that hits 280 with a 380 on base percentage rather than hit 300 with a 335 on base percentage. It's about getting on base. Yes, because, um, because the, basically what happened in about 20, 2009, 2010, back when the Giants were winning the first World Series title, is pitching very much took over the game. Like, uh, it was the beginning of... Uh, around the beginning of Justin Verlander, maybe maybe slightly before. Uh, Cole Hamels was around then. We knew what uh, Tim Linscombe was doing then. David, David Price was uh, was just debuting around that point as well, who's another high strikeout guy. So all these pitchers were coming in and just throw it, just absolutely dominating the game. So contact went down. So a lot of people think batting average was 
kind of made obsolete by Moneyball, but it's actually like quite a bit later where where analysts start to think, okay, batting average doesn't matter anymore because the hitters are making less and less contact, and that's where we need to look at OBP. Because there's basically two ways to count counter the that elite pitching, which is launch angle, so try and aim to hit the balls at a higher angle to drive them further and hit home runs and hit for more power. But not everybody but not everybody has power, so the alternative is to get on bet was to get on base hence OBP. So the next metric we'll look look at for is on base plus slugging percentage. So that's pretty simple in the title. So it just adds OBP and slugging percentage together, which gives you an, a good indicator of how how much someone's getting on base as well as like how, how much power they're hitting for. Um, it can also be used to evaluate pitches, and it's referred to as OPS against. Although there are more accurate metrics such as WRC+, plus, which we will be which we'll be going to a little bit later on. So in terms of scale, 1,000 is excellent, 900 is great, 800 is above average, 710 is average, below average is 670, poor is 600, awful is 570. So if we just go back to Mr. Trout there, we can see he had a 993 uh, OPS, which in comparison to his previous years, um, is quite a bit lower in 2019. It was at 1083, and in 2018 it was at 1088. His career average is actually a thousand itself, so I think there's a good chance he will bounce back to be over a thousand there as well. Um, it's quite plain to see his power numbers are a bit down, and his OBP was a bit down in 2020. So you can tell with both metrics being down, he was down in both those facets of the game, and that explains why his OPS was uh, lower for, lower than expected for 2020. So the next metric is isolated power. So this is basically batting average, but it doesn't take singles into account. So it just counts doubles, triples, home runs as an average. So for just an example, a player who goes one for five with double has an ISO of, of 200. A player who goes two for five with a single and double um, has a higher batting average than the first player, but he has the same ISO as he's only hit a double, triple, or a home run once in those five at-bats. So, so yeah, that's a, that shows how ISO compares to batting average. Um, it's superior to slugging percentage as players with similar batting averages and more slugging percentages could have very different seasons. So, for instance, player A could be batting with 10 home runs versus player B who's batting 340 home runs and both could have the same slugging percentage in theory. Uh, the, the ratings go excellent to 50, great to 100. Average 170, sorry, above average 170, average 140, below average 120, poor 100, awful uh, 80. If we just take a quick look at Mike Trout, Trout there, he's 322, so he's again in, in elite. He's, yeah, just shown that he's elite again. Um, it was slightly down from 2019, but higher than 2018. And Charlie, I just I just want to ask yeah. real quick to make something yeah. clear. I'm sorry to interrupt, but so ISO d- that does factor in um, ballpark value as well, correct? Um, I'm not too sure. I'd, I'd have to look. I'd have to look that up because obviously, um, I don't I don't think it does from memory. So, so okay. yeah, so ISO. I apologize. Di- yes, yeah, so oh no, it's fine. So um, ISOs could differ, like if you are in a hitter's park or if you are in a pitching park. Oh, so um, it does consider that. Yeah, because yeah, because uh, if you yeah, so you'd compare it by saying like if two players have the same ISO, but say someone has 
Oracle as a home park versus Yankees Stadium, for example, sure. then you would say, yeah, he's worth more because he gets to hit a bet in a bandbox for 81 games a year compared <laughs> to a pitching, very pitching, normally pitching by a stadium. Yeah, it makes sense. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to oh, interrupt no, you. There. I was just curious myself because I, I, I thought that it factored in, like, yeah, where you're actually hitting. So that is an important factor. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, in um, so in 2020, he had an ISO of 322, which is again excellent. Um, it, it was down on 2019, but it's still well above his average. Um, looking further back, it's been between 316 to 353 for the past few past four years uh, with 322 being on the lower end so yeah I'd say there's a there's a good chance he'll beat that again in 2021 uh, so the next metric is weighted runs created plus so this is where we start to get like really really in-depth into um, into the offensive side of advanced metrics so in order to explain WRC plus I just need to give a quick explain on runs created. So runs created was a Bill James metric that explains production, uh, which explains production by amount of runs that, that are created. So rather than just reading out a hitter's whole offensive stat line, so singles, doubles, RBIs, home runs, etc., you would simply say player A created 10 runs for his team last season, player B created 20 runs for his team last season. So WRC plus, so that takes runs created and adjusts that number to account for important external factors. So um, like you're asking there about um, ISO, Doug, it does take into account park factor. And also it, it takes into account era as well. So for instance, if you want to compare Willie Mays to Barry Bonds, might be a bit early, but if you wanted to compare Carl Yastrzemski's start of his career to Mike Yastrzemski, you can do that. Ah. Uh, it's adjusted. It's also... Because it's adjusted and weighted, uh, the average is 100. So this is a note in general for any metrics you see that have a plus or minus um, on the end. Um, 100 will always be league average for that. Um, if it's a minus, the lower it is, the better. If it's a plus, the higher it is, the better. So, for instance, if somebody had a WRC plus of 150, they would be, they would, they would be creating runs uh, at a rate 50% above league average. So just an example, a player who plays his home games at Hitter Friendly Coors Field will have a lower WRC plus than a player who posts identical stats at Pitcher Friendly Oakland Coliseum because obviously it's a lot more difficult to hit at the OCO com compared to that um, nice thin mountain air up there. So the scale for WRC plus is as follows. So excellent is 160, great is 140, above average is 115, average is 100, below average is 80, poor is 75, Awful is 60. So if we take a look at Mike Trout's WRC plus again, uh, there we are. So it was crazy numbers. <laughs> so it was at one, 162, which again, uh, yeah, ranks just above excellent. Um, but it's actually quite low compared to his previous two years, 178 in 2019 and 188 in 2018. It's, actual, it's actually below his career average of one. 172 as well um and steamer and zips both seem to be down on him as well for 2021 so predicting 157 164 respectively but again i think that's just to do with whatever reason he was down in obp um he was down in iso as well compared to previous seasons so as crazy as it may be even though he's still excellent despite having 
what you'd say is an underpar season by his really high standards. Um, I can see him easily bouncing back from that, to be honest again. Well, and and also too, and and we've we've discussed this as well. Um, and and I know when we get to Brandon Belt, this will be brought up too. But um, <laughs> you have to factor in he played out of 60 possible games last year. He only played 53 games. How many mm. times has Mike Trout or any other player that's had a, you know, an above average to really good season started off the first 50 games or so average. Cause I think, I think Trout has had a couple years where he started off slow hitting, you know, yeah. and I'll go back to my standard metrics hitting 230, 240, which is not very good, especially for yeah. his caliber of play. But then he ends up hitting, 290 and uh having a great year hitting 40 home runs he and you know in the first 50 games he only had six home runs so it's like uh, it's hard to take into account um even standard or advanced metrics a 60 game season oh de- oh definitely because um like like we'll go like um i'll discuss it a bit more when we go into war because um there is a really simple way to project things forward but it's not like the most accurate way is you're making a lot of presumptions so so as you're saying Doug, there are like a lot of external factors to it as well it's not just simply this means this and a equals b etc yeah but i just want to um ask you doug like so now we've talked about um, most of statistics statistics there sorry He's kind of seeing like what I was meaning by a puzzle earlier, where like um, where it all fits together. So, for instance, the OBP, the ISO, OPS, I, I are all painting a picture of his W. We're all linking into his WRC being lower than his previous years, just because they were all lower as well. Um, you're talking about Mike Trout specifically, correct? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah because – and I've noticed that trend while you're describing these statistics and these metrics. Um, yeah, everything has been somewhat lower, and I'm looking at him now, than his career average or especially like his 2018 and 19 years were off the chart great. And then his 2020, um, you know, which were still uh, was still a really good year um, – I would say on the average of a major league baseball player, it was probably uh, below the standard Mike Trout year and factor in a huge deal to it. He only played in 53 games. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Plus it, it says to his quality as well. He, he had an under par season, but he's still rating really well. Exactly. And everything as well. Like nine, probably 95% of the players in baseball would have a season like that and say, yeah, great. I'll take that to the bank uh, all day long, and fingers crossed, I can repeat that for the whole of uh, 2021. So, yeah, because I mean, if you if you factor in, and I know I know we need to move on, but if you factor yeah. in, so 53 games, let's multiply that by three. That's 159 games. So, say in a 162 game season, he missed only three games, and, and these are just obviously projections. I and from my own again, you know, I test eyes. Um, he had 17 home runs in 53 games. Triple that. That's 50, 51 home runs. He had 46 RBIs. Triple that. That's 138 RBIs. Like, they're stupid numbers um, <laughs> that Mike Trout had in uh, probably a average to below average Mike Trout numbered season. If you were to triple the games played, it's ridiculous. That's how good that guy is, and that's why, like you said, he's a generational talent. Oh, definitely. Um, but – um. One, one thing to note, so um, when, when we move on, is to like try and keep a like, rough idea of these stat, stats in, in mind for when we say move on to, to Mike, Mike Yastrzemski, because he's playing at all-star level, but obviously um, he doesn't have the track record, track record that Trout has. Absolutely. So 
So, like, comparing between players, even for, say, Mike Ostremski, who, um, who, from what we've seen in the short time we've seen him, is all-star level. You'd, you'd still call this a great, great season for him. So, basically, the basic point I'm trying to make here is, even for a great player like Mike Ostremski, Mike Trout is shown here why, why he is a generational talent. Like, is it too early to start? Obviously, the best of all time uh, comparisons to like the likes of Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, probably because he's had nine or ten seasons that they all had 20, 20 plus. But he's on the road because I saw a comparison early on in his first four or five seasons where he was he wasn't too far off what Willie Mays was doing. Yeah, he's Mike Trout's definitely on his way. I mean, he could he gets stopped now and he's already a Hall of Famer. It's kind of like the argument of uh, you know, Barry Bonds after 1997-98 and we, we don't need to get into that. We all know how oh, that yeah, is. Yeah. But but yeah, he he already had a Hall of Fame resume. Yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely Mike Trout has enough enough there and he's only 29 years old, I believe. So, it's yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, cuz what I'm trying to tie in there, Doug, is that the traditional metrics and the actual in-depth metrics are working well together to say he is as good as like the basic metrics indicate that he is. So yeah, just to co- yeah. So um, just to continue on, so we're moving on to Fangrass wins above replacement. So War measures a player's value in all parts of the game by showing how many more wins he's worth compared to a replacement level player at his same position. So this could be a minor league replacement from AAA or a readily available fill-in free agent. So this is a useful one for the Giants, as we, we've kind of been replacing... We're kind of still going through a transition. It won't be as bad as uh, last year or 2019, when you literally, from one week or to another, like at the beginning of the season, you just basically had no idea who half the team was. But this is a good way of comparing, say, like, um, the outfielders who are already there to say, a Heliot Ramos after 2021, hopefully, sorry, 2022, hopefully when he's had a full season there, he can say, okay, Heliot Ramos, is he, is he shown that he can be Mike Yastrzemski level? Is he better than an Alex Dickerson who's also had a great start to his career? And, and I know, and I know it's a bit harsh, but because he's coming up from AAA, like he would be at first considered a replacement level player as well, even though his, his upside is way, way, way beyond that just because that's that's his starting point. So just to carry on as an example, if a shortstop and a third baseman offer the same overall production on offense, defense, and the base paths, the shortstop will have the better war because his position sees a lower level of production from replacement level players. So if you say got a triple A first baseman versus an average triple A shortstop, you would expect the first baseman to be better offensively. So if a shortstop can equal a first baseman offensively, so we're thinking about the Francisco Lindors, <coughs> excuse me, um, Corey Seegers of the world there as, as examples. So in general terms, there are two different kinds of wins above replacement. So there's B-War or baseball reference wins above replacement and F-War fangrass wins above replacement. So the difference between the two wars comes down to the use of different hitting, base running and fielding metrics. Also, a big one, considering we're going to be looking at uh, Buster, Posey, Buster Posey shortly. The catcher's fangrass war also counts pitch framing, whereas baseball reference war doesn't. So if you look at, say, Buster Posey's um, baseball reference war like in his prime compared to his fangrass war, 
if you see it as being two to three wall lower on baseball reference, don't worry about it. That's basically because Fangrass factors in a lot more defensively for catchers than baseball reference does. And, and obviously pitch framing, um, I know we're not looking at the metric today, but Buster Posey is all generally graded between very good to excellent at it as well. So it has added on a lot to his Fangrass war. So in terms of the scale, replacement level slash for a player, so this is like guys who absolutely rake at AAA, come up to the MLB, then for whatever reason, it just doesn't work out for them. They're at zero to one war. A role player is at one to two war. A solid starter is at two to three war. A good player is at three to four war. An all-star is at four to five war. A superstar is at five to six war. An MVP is at six plus war. So for 2020, what we can do is we can project it forward for the full season using a simple method. So a 162-game season is 2.7 times longer than a 60-game season. So Mike Trout's war was 2.5 for 2020. So we can times that by 2.7 and we get 6.8. But the issue with this is we're presuming that the player's productivity, like all-round productivity, both in base running, offense, defense, the whole package together, carries on the way it carries on the way it was up to when the 60 game season ended whereas obviously with another 102 games you're likely to go into slumps you could get hotter for a while especially like in terms of Mike Trout have already been saying by his really high standards he was having an underpass season so it may be in a case of as you were saying Doug earlier as a tradition of starting on the slower side then once it gets to all-star break time, post-all-star break time, he yeah. heats up. So he could have had a really strong finish to that. So just to bear in mind that we said that six plus war was MVP level. For war, to find war on Fangrass, you'll have to scroll up to the dashboard. For some reason, it's not in the advanced section. So as as we were saying there, it was, it was on the low side at uh, 6.8. So compared to yeah, compared to his twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen, that is quite a li- quite a way down. His twenty eighteen wall was nine point six. His twenty twenty wall was eight point five. <laughs> These so numbers again, are ridiculous. It is career. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but oh it's my fine. god, it's absolutely fine because I'm thinking the same thing. Because if you said to any player you can have a nine point six wall year in twenty eighteen, they'd be like, end the season now. I'll take that. Just and that's his. Yeah. That's his fourth best war. In his career, his 2012 is 10.1, and his 2013 is 10.2. Like, I, that's stupid. It's stupid. And if you think think about it this way, I think Buster Posey's war, although we'll be looking at him in a little while, when he won the MVP was, 10, was like 10.1, and he's done that once, and his wars from the other years have generally been way lower than that. So, yeah. So that that shows you, like, even an elite player like Buster Posey just can't touch Mike Trout's level no. that, that he's on. But um, going going back to um, projected war, uh, Steamer and um, – oh, I can't see Zips for some reason. Let me just scroll down slightly. Yeah, Steamer and Zips have it yeah. at 7 and 6.8, which is actually in line with its 2020 production. But I think going by his track record from 2019, 2018, and before that um, – yeah, you'll easily beat it again. So, yeah, now we get into just yeah, a sorry, ridiculous, yeah. ridiculous career from from Mike Trout. Um, I I want to move into. Can we can we start moving into Buster Posey yeah. here? 
And because uh, yeah. we, we want to go over these statistics for three players. And, and just so you're, you're on the board, because, I mean, you are sharing this episode with me. What we're going to do is we're going to do the rest of the offensive guys. And then um, we're going to end this. And we're going to make a part two where we discuss the pitching metrics. So, and then we'll, we'll go deeper into that. So let's, uh, let's get going on Buster Posey here. Okay, so Buster Posey is an interesting player to look at in terms of doing a case study into his numbers. Not just because he is Buster Posey, but he is an actually a great example of how scouting and analytics can work together. And this proves a very, fairly common misconception that it's either about one thing or the other, like it's about traditional scouting, the, the analytics are trying to take over, etc., it's not. They, they do work well together. Like the scouting will tell you what a player should or needs to do physically, and the numbers will set. The numbers will basically tell you if that's working or not. So before you even look at the numbers, we know that Buster Posey was affected by a hip injury, like back in 2018, and he didn't seem to have full range of movement after surgery in 2018 either, which affected his 2019. So I know you've coached Doug, so I wanted to ask you uh, two questions from the scouting coaching perspective. So the first question is, how does a hip injury affect his swing and his ability to make contact with pitchers? So this isn't just, say, hitting for power. This is even just fouling off pitchers to, um, to like, make his at-bats longer and to increase his OBP as well. And in the early videos from spring training, does he look back? Look like his hip is back to, like, 100%? So does he have that full range of motion there that you'd expect to see? Um, the hip... It- well, let's let's first, yeah, like start on the offensive side of the ball because we we don't we gotta remember Buster Posey is a catcher, okay? So that that's a big part too, and I'll get to that in a second. But um, regarding offensively at the plate, um, the hips are huge. Uh, th- this is your load. This is where you get your power from. And uh, yes, like you said, it's beyond power. It's about getting you know your foot down and timing, uh, especially in today's major leagues, uh, major league baseball with with pitchers that are up there throwing, you know, 97 to a hundred, sometimes on a consistent basis, um, getting your load time down is incredibly important. So uh, you'll see a lot of videos where uh, players, uh, batters and pitchers are doing hip exercises, hip training, um, because there's a lot of torque there too. And so you get your power from your legs. It's not all arms. Sure, it's great to have a big chest. It's great to have big arms. But if you look at, and I don't, I don't want to make this weird, but if you look at the big power guys in baseball history, you can look at Bonds, uh, David Ortiz, Mike Trout. Uh, yeah, you could even look at a Buster Posey, who's not obviously near as a, a power elite guy as those guys, but he's a good power hitting catcher. Um, it's all in the legs and the thighs and the hips. So getting the torque of twisting, getting the bat through the zone using the hips is is very important. It does affect bat speed as well. Um, but like I started off with, getting into defensively, the guy squats, you know, well over 100 times a game on an average night. And that's why catchers need a day off every, um, every few days. Uh, and so – what Posey's been able to do is is he's been able to stay healthy the majority of his career, I would say. Um, you know, just that 2011 where, you, you know, he, he hurt his lower leg against the Marlins and only was able to play in 45 games that year. But after that, um, you know, he has 148, 148, 147, 150, 146. And, yes, some of those games are at first base as well. 
But when you get a, uh, you know, future Hall of Fame catcher to be able to get in the squat over 100 times in a season, it's going to wear and tear on your hips and your legs and your body in general. Um, but the great thing in, to answer your part two is seeing Buster Posey swing again after having this previous season off. And I'm sure he worked out, you know, at home on his own, but kind of really resting most of the day and just being a dad like he says he was. Um, you're going to see a fresh Buster Posey, and you see it right now in his bat speed. It's, it looks as good as it did before, I would say, 2018. Um, Buster Posey's ready to go. The bat speed's there. He looks healthy. He looks, he looks actually bulked up. If you saw him walking into uh, the clubhouse the other day, there was a video. It was like the Giants hype video. Buster Posey looks somewhat shredded. <laughs> it's it's kind of refreshing. So I'm hoping, you know, especially after last year, I'm, I'm a big Joey Bart guy. I hope he ends out being our, you know, catcher of the future. But for at least this season and, and possibly, you know, restructuring the contract over the next year or two after that, I just really hope a healthy Buster Posey is still a really good Buster Posey. And before I hand it back over to you, uh, what a lot of people don't keep in mind is – um, and this is from a coach's perspective is it is so important forget batting. It is so important. The rapport that catchers have with their pitchers. And I'll tell you what, it could have been the difference in, yes, it was a 60 game season last year, but the rapport between the catcher and the rotation and the relievers as a whole could have been the difference between the giants winning two or three more games last year and actually reaching the postseason. So that's how important Buster Posey is. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point about the uh, rapport of the pitch as well, because if you look at, say, the games where Joey Bart was catching Johnny Cueto, like, um, you, you could just tell that it was, a, it was just a complete mismatch and it wasn't working. And, and defensively, that is something to take into account as well, because obviously if um, Joey Bart's kind, kind of there and he's trying to communicate, but he's not confident in what he's asking Cueto to throw, and Cueto's not confident in what he's thrown to him. Bart has gonna... had so much on his plate yeah. at once. Yeah, exactly. So, so, um, so I'm gonna. So my main point there was like defensively, it just makes it hard on the player. Like if the communication isn't there, so it was a yeah. So those those were some really great points, Doug. So um, what we also need to take into account is. As we said earlier, uh, research says decline begins at about age 31 or so, and Posey's heading to his, into his age 34 season. But the counter-argument to that is he's been off for a year, so he's a lot more refreshed than, you ex- than you'd expect a 34-year-old catcher to be, and he's obviously not had the grind and the getting beaten up of like catching games as well that you were referring to there as well, Doug. So the scouting says he should... In 2018 and 2019, because we didn't, he didn't play in 2020, so we'll we'll look at his 2019 numbers as a comparison. He should have had problems making contact, which means not just sitting for power or base hits, but also fouling off pitches, which would affect his OBP. If he if he's missing pitches that he'd usually be able to foul off, that means he's going to strike out a lot more. He's not going to be able to put the ball into play or, or make contact, <clears throat> and these should have. And these, in theory, should affect all three of his OBP, OPS, and ISO, and by extension, his WRC plus and WAR. So, um, right. So let's take a look at the twenty-nine number, twenty nineteen numbers for Buster Posey. Just scrolling down. There. And so, and we're we're sticking to these. We're really focusing on the ones we've gone over, right? The OBP. Yeah, we are. OPS. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So if we look at OBP, um, 
2019, yeah, it was uh, other than his cup of coffee 2009 experience, I won't count because it wasn't really a full season. Um, yeah, it was way down. Like his career average OBP is 333. He'd had it as high as 400 in 2017, which was the second highest of his career. Um, so I would say, um, again, as you were saying there, Doug, he looks healthy. It looks like the explosion's back for, for his swing. Um, in terms of just being able to foul off pitches to generate walks as well as hitting for power. Yeah, I would, I would say um, he should beat that pretty easily. Um, in terms of OPS, um, 6HA, again, unfortunately, another career low in 20, 2019, um, which he should easily be able to beat there. If you look at 2018, he was at 741, even with the hip problem. Um, in 2017, he was at 861. So, so his career average is 826. So... Um, yeah, I think I can see him getting back towards career average there. Maybe not the heights of, say, like the high 800s or his 2012 like off uh, yeah. MVP season. But um, yeah, he should he should be good to good to pretty good on that one. Um, so we are taking of, just before you continue real quick. Yeah. We are kind of taking the over under perspective here. We're comparing to the previous season. Yeah these players yeah. played in and seeing if they're going to be better or worse, basically. So yeah. so far, on base percentage and OPS. Over for Buster Posey. So good signs. Yeah, a very good sign. So, um, oh, I mean, in terms of ISO, this is where it gets interesting because his powers kind of declined even before he gets in, before he got injured. So in 2015, it was at 153. 2016, it was at 147. 2017, it was at 142. And 2018 and 2019, it actually sank to just 98 and just treble one. So if we quickly go back to the ISO scale there. Um, we we can see that it went from like getting towards above average all the way down to just above poor to um, yeah to pretty pretty much poor. Um, so with with that in mind, I think it's easy to see again, Doug. Um, if that explosiveness is in, in the hips is back and he can gen, generate the generate the power for extra base hits that um, he's shown in the past. Um, yeah, he definitely should be able to beat that pretty easily again. I, I, I just want to throw in my two cents real quick. I don't – and here comes the eye test perspective. And, okay. and also, you have to factor in, um, he's going to be in a lineup that is probably the best lineup since, uh, I would say, at least 2016 uh, that he's been in. So he's going to have more protection around him. Um, he's an older, wiser, and I know it sounds cheesy and cliche, uh, hitter. He's not a selfish hitter. Um, this may be a Buster Posey that's willing to take a lot of walks this year, um, be selfless and move batters over. So, um, from my point of view, I don't know if he's much better than, you know, that 111 that he put up in 2019 ISO wise. Um, I, I can see him maybe being slightly better, but not to like his, you know, career average, which is in probably the one fifty ish range. So that's just my point of view. Oh, yeah, I can I can see that because as we were saying there, decline is also a factor there as well. So although he might have got back some power, on the other hand, yeah. because he because he's at that age and he was getting pretty banged up beforehand, he he might not get back to the one forties. But um, considering just how low one eleven and yeah, and going back to twenty eighteen ninety eight were, I think basically it's. 
that's him bottoming him out and now the hips are healthy sure. essentially the only way is up even if he doesn't quite get back to the one 142 147 level of uh, when he was last really healthy yep uh, so next we have weighted runs created plus um unfortunately yeah his 2019 Considering we said 100 was average and he was down to 84, that just shows you how much he was struggling as well. And even with an older player like Buster Posey, uh, the scout will bear this out as well, Doug. Um, they, they will still keep their hitting eye. They will still be able to work walks and get on base. And because, because he actually lost that part of the game as well as, as his power as well, that contributed to him, to him just being, a, unfortunately... Close to a awful uh, run, run producer, run creator in that year. Well, let me so, ask you yeah. this: Would you would yeah. you consider a successful 2021 Buster Posey season um, if his WRC plus was right at league average at about 100? Um, I think. To, to be honest, I was going to come on on that next and kind of. Oh, look I'm sorry. Comparison <laughs> to 2017, but it's fine. It just My shows bad. we are on the same wavelength there. Um, sorry about that. No, no, it's fine. In in some ways, it it would be to say like at least he's back to being an average player again compared to unfortunately. Because um, one of the worst things is statistic with statistics is like analysts kind of get this um, reputation for having no heart. We're just all about the numbers, but like like Buster Posey is someone every Giants fan loves. Like every Giants fan can get behind. Every Giants fan can root for. He is like the the de facto captain of this generation of Giants team. So like you want to be able to look at a number and say, yeah, that says he will be able to do well. So seeing him like down that far, um, just just to show like um, we're not like the Tin Man and the Wizard of Oz that we do actually have a heart. Um, it, it does hurt <laughs> from the numbers side as well as seeing it from the, from the basic side as well. Um, but yeah, getting back to um, predicting the under over, I think you'll definitely be over. Um, I'm I'm wondering Aring about whether to get whether he'll get back to um, his 2017 pace, and that might be a bit of a stretch, but I think he'll at least be somewhere around average in WRC plus approaching above average. Because okay. I'm trying to be confident, but trying to be grounded at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. You are a Giants fan. Yeah. <laughs> So um, in term in terms of WAR, um, it was 1.8, uh, yeah, 1.8 in 2019. Um, in 2018, it was 2.2. In 2017, it was 4.7. Um, again, it's easy to see, like from all the points we've made and all the under, other numbers we've looked at as well. Like we've looked at offense, we haven't even factored in like his pitch framing, defense, things like that, which you have to do with WAR as well, especially in terms of Fangrass WAR, as that is um, a a definite part of it. So I would say, yeah, he'll easily be, well, he did only play 114 games, but even if you say projecting forward, you add on, say, 0.4, 0.5, that's still only 2.2, 2.3 war for a 160-game season. I'd say it's a safe bet to be that. Um, in terms of whether he'll get back to his 2017 numbers, I'm I'm going to say wins comeback player of the year, but I'm going to say he's just short of 2017. I think they'll be. I think it'll be kind of up and down, where he's kind of knocking on the door, where he's looking like the old Buster Posey, but then, like the signs of the decline are still there, where he may 
not like hit for much power for extended periods of time. But I think I think he'll do enough to be let let's say in the in the range of four point three to four point five war, which I know is a big jump for where he was in twenty nineteen. But if we remember just like how good Buster Posey has been, so his peak war in twenty twelve was MVP of ten point one. Um I know it, 2016 sounds like it was quite a while away, but if you think about it in terms of full health, it was actually the second last year where he was fully healthy. He was still at 6.7 in that year. So there is, there is upside to this, but um, yeah, I'm going to kind of take the confident but grounded option of um, he'll get back towards 2017, but not quite get there, but be superior to, uh, to where he was in 2019. Um, from what I've illustrated there, Doug, would you pretty much agree with the assessments overall I've made there? Yeah, for the most part. I I think, and I mean this respectfully, I think comeback player of the year is a, is a bit much. I just don't know what to expect playing time from him. I mean, I, I would think a success for Buster Posey this year is he plays in 130 games. Um, you know, and regarding war specifically, I was, and again, this is a metric that you know way more than I do. I was anticipating he'd be somewhere in the mid threes, like a 3.5. Um, and because and, I, I don't see, you know, now they have several options at first base. There's no designated hitter this year. Um, I think 99% of the games he's going to actually play this year will be behind the plate. Um, yeah. And you're trying to squeeze out maybe Buster Posey's one last full year as a full-time catcher. So um, I think he will have some ups and downs. But I do think overall he will have a better year, absolutely, than his 2019 season. I think if he can get back into his 2017, 2018 days where he was a good catcher, not a great, but good catcher, yeah. um, it's absolutely a great addition to this improved Giants lineup that's gotten better slowly in the last three years. So um, that's, that's my opinion on that. So let's move on to your guy, Brandon Belt. Um, just, just quickly, uh, Doug. I just want to say, like, yeah. just going back to the war scale there, like, because um, some, some, some people um, may may still be like getting used to like how the scale works and everything. Like, what you were saying about three point three to three point four kind of war there. That's still good play level. So that's not yes. as if like he's really struggling or anything. It's it's a definite rebound because it's one point eight basically just put him as a bench player pretty much so yeah. three to four war is he's not all-star level good he's not classic buster posey but he'll he'll still give you like an above average amount of offense he's compared good. to other league catchers yeah yeah so he's good yeah. but not great kind of thing gotcha okay. so on to brandon bell so as we kind of touched on earlier brandon bell has been a player who in offensive terms by traditional metrics such as batting average home runs rbis and runs has frustrated a good segment of the Giants fan base, to say the least. However, the advanced statistics paint a different picture. There was an article in May 2017 by Craig Edwards of Fangrass called How Brandon Belt Rightly Resists the Flyball Revolution. And as we've uh, touched on there, his, argument, his very well-reasoned argument uses ISO as a primary factor for that, as well as park factor and a few other StatCast metrics as well. Yeah, and it basically um, makes a case for why Brandon Belt was a top 25 hitter in baseball up to that time. And it is still available and free to read as well for anybody who may be interested in that. But there is unfortunately one thing to consider, and that is 
Brandon Belt's health, as we know, he's unfortunately had problems staying consistently injury-free. Um, he also had arthroscopic knee surgery in 2018, which he has admitted also bothered him 20, uh, continued to bother him in 2019. He's currently recovering from having surgery to remove a bone spur in his right heel that he had last October, although he's currently hit his uh, rehab targets as far. So it will be interesting to see how many games he does play this year, and we can kind of use the past few years to get them, get an indication of that, not a definite amount, but a, but a general indication. Um, but just quickly again from the scouting side, Doug, how would, like, how would a, a heel injury affect his offense and defense, if you could well, please? Well, offensively, yeah, absolutely. It's going to – it'll affect you. I mean, uh, if the right foot, he's left-handed batter, getting that foot down – um, and we're like we're talking about with Buster Posey about timing, um, you know, especially a guy like Brandon Belt, who does feature somewhat of a high leg kick, you know, coming down violently on that front foot. It's going to it's going to hurt a little bit on your on your heel there. So um, that that is a big uh, thing to look forward to, especially going into spring. And, um, you know, if, if he misses the first week or two and because he's got to get healthy, totally understandable. So it's uh, the right heel especially for a left-handed bat um, is a significant factor um, at first base, you know, and I'll, I'll always say this because I will obviously voice how I feel about Brandon belt and that's fine. Um, defensively, he's always been a, a, a really good first baseman, um, whether that's moving when he needs to, or, you know, uh, making up for a bad throw from short or third uh, Brandon belt is, has always had a good glove. Um, Obviously, that at first base, it's different. That just is, especially when you're stretching from first base and he's a left-handed glove, he's going to have his left foot on the bag. Um, so I don't think it's as much as a big deal defensively playing first base, um, except just moving and getting to a spot. Outside of that, I wouldn't put too much merit into the significance of the injury regarding his defense. Okay, thanks for that, Doug, there. Um, in terms of Games played, I was just looking at the projections from Zips and Steam there. Um, they're projecting uh, 120 and 120, 126, which is interesting. As To be honest, to my surprise, he did actually play 156 in 2019. So he did pretty much play a, play a full season there. But in the two years before that, he only played 112 and 104. And obviously with the heel injury, that is something to uh, take into account as well. Um, so going back to the metrics... So, as, as we'll see here, 20, 2020 was statistically the best Brandon Belt season that pretty much has ever been, even though it was shortened, but statistically it was his uh, top season. So, his OBP for 2020 was 425, and that compares to a 356 career average. So, in 2019, it was 339, and 2018, it was 342. Um, realistically, the thing with Bell, as everybody knows, is he does go hot and he does go cold, but the one thing he does do consistently well is, is get on base. But 425, as it is just such an outlier for him, I'm going to... I'm going to have to say he probably he probably won't equal that, but I wouldn't be too surprised if he's, say, uh, 3, 370, 380. So I think there is something to him finding something with the uh, 
with the coaching as well as with the fences being moved in. But um, one thing we haven't actually touched on, Doug, is the dead and ball as well. Because um, just reference something we were discussing at S Fangrass, we found an article that said it would probably reduce home runs, or it's projected to reduce home runs by about five percent compared to compared to uh, the recent years, and that would take home run numbers back to 2017. To it. So it reduces them a bit, but not too much. But obviously in a park like the Giants, where every bit of power or every advantage we can get power-wise matters, um, we, we, we probably will see a slight reduction in power there. And so, we can, so yeah, we can never count out Rob Manfred for just being an absolute uh, freaking baseball killer. And he is the guy running baseball. So it's, it's it, I, I'll, I'll keep it quick because you're in a groove here, but it's absolutely pathetic that they're doing this this year. I agree. So um, yeah. So um, oh, so OBP. Um, I just want to get your thoughts, Doug, on this, as you've seen me go through two players now. So, if we say go off both his um four twenty five uh, OBP and his career average of three fifty six, um, are you kind of where I am, where you think it will be above career average, but it won't quite get to where he was last season, just because of how good that was by his general standards. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with that, and it's due in large part, and I'm actually going to fire back at you with a sabermetric, so uh, you're welcome. Um, (laughs) uh, Because I'm I'm looking at the, um, you know, the walk percentage, the BB percentage, uh, which is, and I have the glossary up here, excellent is 15%. Brandon Belt uh, this last year was at 16.8%. Uh, the previous years, uh, 13.5, 10.7, 14.6. So we all know as San Francisco fans that Brandon Belt is willing to walk. And that is a huge part. And that helps out his on-base percentage a lot. Now I'll look at it and I'll go back to standard. And I see that, you know, he did hit 309 this last year, which is really good. It's really good. Um, and it's quite refreshing because um, he's never hit over 300 in his career. Um, I'd like to point that out. Um, and again, and I'll, I'll sum it up when I do sum up Brandon Belt because it was a 60-game season. Um, but, yeah, I, I, you said 356, his career average. I can see him being in the uh, 360, 370 range um, just because he'll have years where he hits, you know, 240, 250, but he's pushing 100 points higher in his on-pace percentage because he is willing to take a walk. So I'll, I'll agree with that. Um, so in terms of – OPS, um, 1,015, which, which puts him on the excellent level there. In comparison, his career average for that was a 10. His 2019 and 2018, both injury hits, some 42 and some 56, respectively. But he was in 823 in 2017 and 868 in 2016. So I think, again, it's a case of good, but not as good. So I think... I'd, I'd probably say somewhere in the somewhere in the mid eight hundreds um, to take into account that um, this change of offensive philosophy is suiting him. Excuse me, and also presuming that they do keep the portholes closed to allow him to hit for to like hit the ball harder over a longer distance compared to what he usually does. Um, in terms of ISO, again, it was a career, a career best by a good uh, by over fifty points. Um, it's his career, his career average for that low 190 isn't too bad. Again, if we quickly go back to the ISO scale, 190 rates as 
uh, getting close towards great. Great is 200, above average is 170. So he's kind of in the very good, close to great range on that in general. So that also does kind of kill the myth that he doesn't hit for power. Um, because he does hit for power, but it tends to be more for doubles than, than home runs. Because I don't want to go off on a tangent too much, but yeah. if you look at his doubles numbers, he is generally over 30 plus a season. And that kind of gets missed out because I think people just expect him being a first baseman to hit 30 to 40 home runs, etc. Um, so don't know, so OPS. So WRC plus again, season be- uh, career best, 172. Um, career average, 123. It was down to 98 again in 2019. Uh, 2018, it was just above average at 107. Um, so, yeah, I'd say somewhere between about 130 to 140 for that. I think it would be a safe bet there as well. Again, showing that, um, it, that the offensive philosophy is working and that he is hitting for more power. But it's not going too crazy and saying, yeah, like 172 is the norm, norm for him now. Although, there's a, there's a chance it could be. You never know. Um, in terms of projected war for 2020... Uh, just to double check, that came to one point five for uh, zips. Oh, sorry for tw- yes for twenty twenty. His full projected war was five point one over, over the whole season. So let's have a quick look. Yeah, so yeah, one point nine. Yeah, so that was five point one. So zero point four in twenty nineteen, two point one in twenty eighteen. Um, I think he's a safe three war player. Like. He's in that somewhere between good to all-star brackets. We'll kind of take the lower end of that and say he's at the good but not great standard. Um, would you would you generally agree with that, Doug? Yeah, and our, our so we're we're done summing up the metrics with him, right? So yes, now I can yeah, kind of give yeah. him my thoughts. Okay, so yeah, go for it. Yeah, I I would agree. He's he's probably in that range of above average regarding you know the war spectrum, but um. Here's my thing. I, I, and I will, I will say this for say, Hey Rob too, because we've always kind of felt right along the same lines regarding Brandon belt. And I'll start at the beginning. Brandon belt was a very highly rated prospect. He had super high expectations um, and was a stud in the giants farm system. His numbers there, I won't go into them, but they were ridiculous. Um, And so he had a lot of hype and a lot of expectations coming into the major leagues. He was, he made the opening day roster in 2011. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe he took Clayton Kershaw deep in his first game. Um, <laughs> so yeah, if you want to uh, set the bar any higher, great, great start, Brandon Belt. Um, but to me, I, like I said previously, he's always been a really, really good glove. I can't take that away from him. I sum him up as, as an above average player, which that's fine. But as a first baseman in the game, um, for a guy that still has not adjusted in 10 years to a breaking ball low and in, um, which if I could find the statistics on that, I'm sure he's got to rank somewhere the worst in the league on breaking balls low and in. Yes, he walks, but um, I, he strikes out a lot still. For a guy that, uh, you know, I'm okay if you have a, a worse strikeout percentage, um, but you hit 30 or 40 home runs. And yeah, you can factor in the ballpark there too, but um at least hit 25 
and he, and he can't. And so that bothers me about Brandon Belt. Like you also said, he can't stay healthy. Uh, he's often on the injured list throughout the years. And he is a very streaky guy, which, you know, when he's hot, he's hot, which factors me into the 2020 season where he appeared in what, 53 of 60 games? Because I think he, or 51. Because I know he missed that like first week or so. Um, but that's why I, I take absolutely no merit in the Brandon Belts 2020. I, I just can't because, you know, and it was great for the Giants because that was his hot streak was the season. And that's great. But if you were to ask me, hey, would he have carried that out if he played in another 90 to 100 games? Absolutely not. You're, you're probably going to see Brandon Belt go into a cold streak where for 30, 40 games, uh, the guy's struggling to, you know, hit 200 because he's done that in his career. So I, I, I know I'm rambling on. I think, I think Brandon Belt's an above-average player. I think we get above-average numbers from him this year because it's a full season. He's going to have spurts where he's really good. He's going to have spurts where he's really bad. Um, and I mean that from the plate, um, batting. So those are just my thoughts on Brandon Belt. And those are the, you know, not really looking at statistics. That's the eye test thing. And so um, just a guy that really hasn't been able to change his swing much throughout his year, throughout his career, and adjust, those are my thoughts on him. Okay, that's fair enough, because if you do look at um, some of the metrics, like it does make 2020 look like a big outlier as well. So there, there could be a case there where, where as you, you say there, Doug, like he is, he is um, some of the metrics say he's a very good to great player, but um, in general, he's more of a good to very good player. So um, there, there, is a, there is a case to be made there. So um, yeah. yeah, that's, that's, that, that's a reasonably fair assessment, I think, there. Uh, so... Let's move on to our best player. <laughs> You'll be waiting for this one. Trevor got – no, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what, is Dan Uckler back? <laughs> so, as I stated earlier, one of the things to look for before looking at the metrics is sample size. So, thus far, Mike Yastrzemski has only had 636 plate appearances, yes. which does make him harder to project than other players. Like say a Buster Posey or Brandon Belt, whereas like we've got um, a far bigger um, sample size on them. So, so the way to kind of counteract this is to try and like dig into some minor league numbers as, as well and see like is there a pattern of like hitting for power there? Is there a pattern for getting on base there? Like etc. So, um, all right. So let's take a look at uh, Mike Stremski. If you just uh, bear with me for thirty seconds. I have his minor league numbers up. What do you you want to like hear home runs and stuff or? Um, I think there was only like one one year where um where like he actually really looked like the player he is now, wasn't it? Was it 2016? 2016, he was in Double A with the Orioles organization. 33 games, uh, six home runs. Uh, in 2016 as well, the Triple A. Um, he had seven home runs in 94 games. But you do have to you do have to um factor in. And I don't want to steal your thunder, but yeah, he, he never was like at the same level for a full season, pretty much from 2013 to 2018 when he was with Baltimore. So go ahead. Yep. So um, just to look at the, look at his OBP first of all. So um, four, 400. So, so yeah. Well, that's not bad. That's, that's <laughs> literally the, 
<laughs> that's six. That's literally like not quite as much, if I remember rightly. But that's literally the same excellent level that Mike Trout was at, just as an example. There, um, it was three thirty-four in twenty nineteen. So um, that gives him a career average of three fifty-seven. Uh, Zips and Steamer. Uh, just a word on projection engines here. They tend to be really conservative if there's a small sample size. So this is partly why um, if. Yeah, if if there's not much of a sample there, there's not much they can really go on. Like sure. like the accuracy of trying to predict minor league numbers is still into MLB numbers is still very much a work in progress, although it is improving. But yeah, just to get back to Yaz there. Four hundred OBP. I'd love to say like he could definitely do that again. But again, it's just it's just that good. Um Usually you'd say at his age, he is a player like coming towards the end of his prime, starting to go into decline. But because he is so young as a major league baseball player, there's an argument to me that he, he is still improving and he could still have like two or three more years at the level of production he's shown so far or even improved. So, Man, I hope so. There is... <laughs> wow, wouldn't that be something? Oh. Um ooh. Because you, you do have to factor in your sample size, be... is, sample size is great. He's played 107 games and then 54 this last season. So he's played essentially one season at the major league level. Yeah. So factor that in. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm going to go slightly conservative here. I'm going to say it won't quite be as much as 400, but it'll still be like really, really good. I'm on the 370, 380 range. So I'll take the under on that. Although, obviously, as we've been saying, Doug, it is like really hard to try and project it given the small sample size. Um, what are your thoughts there? I agree. I think 370 to 380 is fair. Um, and I think what we noticed uh, this last season, albeit uh, smaller sample size, was he was very much willing to walk uh, more this yeah. season than he was in 2019. So that could definitely be him. Yes, he's 30, which is physically prime now, but he's only got two seasons under his belt. This could be, like you just said, him maturing and still improving um, because he's just seeing more major league pitching. So I, I think the three seven, and, and if he's even over 350, I think it's like, hey, this is now we've solidified Mikey Stramski is a great baseball player. But I think, uh, yeah, 370 to 380 is, is fair, fair enough uh, value there. Yeah, because um, that's the thing. Like, even if he goes slightly back from his 2020 numbers in general, it's not as if he's suddenly becoming like a good Correct. or even an average player. He, Correct. he is still very much a very good all-star, all-star level player. It's just um, you kind of have to try and be a bit more grounded and real about the evidence you have in front of you, um, which, which when you are a Giants fan and you are looking to say, yeah, he's going to be the next Barry Bonds, etc., it's kind of not what you want, but, but that's about, um, yeah, just being consistent with the numbers and, and being fair. Um, so in terms of OPS, he was at 968 in 2020. Um, that's really good. It, it is I mean, really good. good, but yeah. I I know we're not covering slugging much, um, but 518, 568 slugging, that, that's pretty good. I'm going to go slightly over. I think I think he could maybe not get to 1,000, but I, yeah, I'm, 
I'm going to be brave and say he's going to con continue to continue to hit for power. Um, maybe like slightly improve his uh, uh, slugging and ISO and and yeah. What about you, Doug? Yeah, I agree. And I'm in, again, I'm hopeful, but I, I also, I'm a realist. Um, but yeah, I, I can see him trending in the same, uh, I could easily see Yaz hitting. If he stays healthy, I could see him hitting 25 home runs this year. So, um, yeah, you factor that in into the OPS. He was 968 last year, which, um, looking at my scales, thank you very much for telling me about these because these are fantastic. Um, I just grow more <laughs> infatuated uh, as we keep talking about it by this. So, um, yeah, 968, which is in the great range. It's a little more towards excellent than great. Um, I, I would say he's going to be right around there again. Um, I think somewhere in the mid nines, somewhere between 950 and 975. Um, but, yeah, so I would say about the same. Yeah, and the, th the thing is with what we were saying about um, slugging as well, the, the, the ISO fits that because um, going back to scale again, he had 245, which rated just below excellent in 2018. Sorry, in 2019, we actually hyped that up to over two seven, to 271, which is way into excellent, it's, which is quite way into excellent territory as well. So like at that point, you're talking at getting up towards MVP level pretty much. So, um, yeah. So if the Sun and the ISO are both saying that he's going to increase in power, that supports our argument, or there could be more power there and he could sustain it and that could drive the OPS. Um, but in terms of ISO, it's really hard to get much higher than that, to be honest. So I'd probably say slight... I think there's an argument to say he could be around it or slightly lower. So I'll, I'll say slight, slightly lower, but not by much, like saying the 250s, 260s. I'll keep my answer short. I, I think he goes right in, uh, in between the great and excellent range. I think he's about 225. Um, I just, it's, you're going to see ups and downs in a full season, which thank God we're getting this year, 162. Um, but you will see some ups and downs. And, but, I, I mean, still, uh, a 225 ISO is, is great. It's great on your scale here. So I, I can see him in that range. So in terms of of WRC plus he was at 159 for 2020 uh, for 2019 it was at 120 and that makes middle ground 134 um again he was just that good that it makes it makes it tough to kind of come to a conclusion of um, whether he'll be able to repeat that again or not because he was just under excellent again. So he was so excellent at 160. He was at 159. So he was pretty much He's borderline excellent. top <laughs> top level. <Yeah. laughs> so um, I'll I'll take I'll take I'll take the over because something that a lot of people kind of forgot I think is he kind of cooled down um, towards the end of uh, 2020 because I had a really hot start. It was um, him and Belt who. I know it's unbelievable in, in the case of Belt to some people. It was him and Belt who were carrying the team, and Belt actually beat him on WRC+. But that was really only because um, uh, Yaz actually cooled down for like the last two or three weeks or so compared to actually what he was doing um, in the first month, which if you think about it that way is absolutely scary because he still managed to put up these numbers even though he cooled, cooled down a little bit. So I'm happy to take the over on the 159 WRC+. Would you agree, Doug? 
I'm right there. I think he stays in the 150, 160 range. Um, so the high great to the excellent. So I, maybe not as optimistic as you. Again, my reasoning being he's got to do this for a full season and not just a sprint. So, um, again, I think he has his ups and downs. But I think he is right along the pace of what he was going at last year, and um, which you brought up MVP numbers. Um, he finished, what, eighth in the National League in MVP voting this last season. So, yeah. I'm I'm hoping, man. He's if anything we get out of Mike Stremski at this point is is a steal for what <laughs> his expectations were and what he was. Because, man, I'm looking at his 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 advanced metrics regarding just his minor league numbers, and they were actually for the most part pretty good. Like he had in 2017, like he had a a, a 207 like WRC plus, and like that's stupid. Obviously, yeah. a small sample size, but. You, you could kind of see that stuff was there, and it is kind of shocking that Baltimore didn't see, especially with being such a blah organization that the uh, Orioles are, that they didn't even give this guy a chance. Um, so that still astonishes me, and I'm sure you as well, and as well as a lot of Definitely. not just Giants fans but baseball fans. So um, before we wrap up this offensive part, because we are going to go into part two, uh, anything offensively that you want to wrap up, Charlie? Um, just to mention, um, Mike Estremsky's projected war was actually going to come out at seven, which is, <laughs> which is again, top, top notch, um, excellent level. Yeah. Um, Zip's projections are quite really low down on that. They actually project him to be at 4.3, which I think is too low. It's understandable, though, given the small sample size. Um, I think seven, I think he'll be, I think he'll be slightly lower. It's just, like so hard to maintain that type of all-round production, both like offensively, defensively, base running wise as well. Um, because um, not wanting to go too much into defensive metrics, but he he basically um, defensively the metrics said that he was more of an outfielder than a centre fielder. So some some of you will remember that he actually got removed from playing centre field altogether, like partway through the season. So um, maybe not seven, but I could easily see him being six to six and a half. Is that something you'd agree on, Doug? I uh, I think it's a great point because war does factor in your you know defense. So I, I think that's a great point that you bring up that he's moved from center where he was probably a below average center fielder to right field where he's probably an above average right fielder. Um, and he's going to be there you know, probably all season in right field. So he'll get comfortable there. He's gotten used to playing at Oracle Park, which right field, there's probably no more difficult um, right field in baseball than Oracle Park. Um, so, yeah, getting used to that along with, I think, you know, staying about the same offensively. I could see him, uh, yeah, in the, in the high five, low sixes war-wise. So borderline superstar MVP. Um, I'm very, again, I'm a pessimistic realist when it comes to baseball players. Um <laughs> But I, I, I believe in Mikey Stremski. I think he's right there. So I can see him somewhere in the 5.7 to 6.2 um, war range for this upcoming season. So, yeah, I agree. Can I just say, Larry Bear, if you're listening, there you go. I believe in Yaz. You heard it here first <laughs> on the Say Hey podcast. Please give, give credit to Doug Hayes. But, um, yeah, absolutely. See what you're saying there. Um, it's, it's kind of like trying to temper – it's trying to fight – trying to kind of fight with your mind versus your heart because your heart wants to say he's going to be the next Barry Bonds, he's going to be the series yeah. Willie Mays, etc. But you kind of have to stay grounded and say, 
it, it is a small sample size, but what he has shown us is at the very minimum, there should be a good player there. Uh, um, at the maximum, he should be like perennial all-star level, maybe maybe top three MVP one year, etc. Sure. So um, over, overall, Doug, um, have I managed to change your opinion on, on metrics somewhat? Like, has it, has it become a bit more easily accessible for you, like going, going through it this way with me on the offensive well, side? I'll say this, I mean, even going into recording this episode, I've, I've grown more optimistic and, um, you know, respectable towards, respectful towards sabermetrics. So I, uh, and I, I'll, I, want, I want to say this from, from me personally, um, I have never, ever been against them. I just didn't care too oh, yeah. much to look into them. But I have, up to my knowledge of them, probably 200% in the last four or five weeks, um, so it's expanding. Not only is it expanding my knowledge of the game as a, an avid baseball fan that does know, I do know a lot about baseball, but now seeing these and really doing player comps, um, between these numbers, like it's fascinating. Um, so I am going to continue to learn and use these. I know we have, um, you know, people that listen to the Say Hey podcast every episode and we appreciate you guys. So we will continue, uh, to use these uh, metrics in these numbers. We're not going to kill you with them, but we are going to use them, um, throughout the show for, you know, backing up with evidence and stuff like that. So, um, we're going to wrap this one up, this part one episode. Uh, we are going to record part two, which will focus more on pitching. It will not take this long, I promise, but now we have (laughs) what we want to talk about and the players. Uh, so Charlie, thank you for joining us for part one. And, uh, we will come back. We will come back for part two. When the Giants come to town, it's bye-bye, baby. Every time the chips are down. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.